You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. We're in Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You may be seated. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Last week, we noticed that the proclamation of the gospel was never being intended to be focused in one area or to one people group. It was meant to be shared to all. And the content of that sharing is the kingdom of God is, is near and is still yet to come. We see Jesus ha- ha- offering these provisional temporary blessings, but that was of secondary priority to Jesus. His first priority was that which was eternal proclaiming the kingdom of God. The people of Capernaum were so enjoying him that, that they would have kept him from leaving. They, they, they sought him, they came to him, and, and, and would have kept him again. Uh, why don't they chase him out like Nazareth? And the text was quite clear. They acknowledged the authority of his teaching. They witnessed a demon declaring Jesus to be the Holy One of God. That must have been quite a moment. They see evidence of his authority by silencing that demon and and then casting that demon out. They see the authority of Jesus over illness as he rebukes the fever that Simon's mother-in-law had. They see him display his authority as they witness the healings and, and demons cast out. So, of course, they want him to stay, but we're not to hinder the movement of the kingdom of God, but rather to surrender ourselves to its king. And I ask you to think about the question, why would Jesus leave Capernaum at the height of it all when, when things were going so well? And then even to go into a, a desolate place. And, and we know from Mark 135, he went there to pray. And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, went into a desolate place, and he prayed. Again, what a great example for us as believers to remember to thank God for what he's doing, to remember that he is the source of those things, that real change comes from him. And and in so doing, we remember our own limitations. We refresh our own souls in solitude with God. We refocus on the Lord and even accept redirection from him. 
But we see Jesus' determination. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. The authority that God rightly possesses by, by God. And by the way, this kingdom demands submission. Jesus is proclaiming, listen, the reign of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is hand, at hand. The messianic king that you have waited for, I'm here. Know the salvation of the Lord. The good news was that the good king was here to rule and to reign. There's an already factor there that, that Jesus is the embodiment of that kingdom of God and in expressing it through healing and authority over the evil and over sin. And the not yet realized part that we see referenced from chapter 1, the future considerations that throne in the kingdom forever. Today's message will further highlight Jesus' authority, and we'll continue to see that. But we'll also see in this text a request, resistant obedience, remarkable results, and rapid response. Jesus responds to humble obedience. I've entitled today's message, the, the Rise of the Fish and the Fall of Man. Would you join me for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, it has been our desire to praise the King who bore our sins. And Father, we are mindful today of just how blessed we are. And Father, we recognize that those blessings come from you, our holy, eternal God. You are God and there is no other, and we just love you. We ask you to accept our praises and our adoration. Lord, may we be reminded of our own unworthiness apart from Christ because you are the worthy one. But we thank you for that righteousness that comes from Christ by faith that we could access you, and we are so grateful for that. Father, our hearts are heavy as we consider what's happening in Israel and in Gaza. Lord, we know of your wonderful relationship with Israel. Lord, from your word, we are not surprised by the chaos, but we just ask you to take over in the midst of this. And Father, our hearts ache for those who have lost loved ones who are um, grieving their death or, or the uncertainty of where they are. And we pray for those who have been taken captive. Lord, we know that there's so much evil in the midst of this. Father, may you work in the midst. And Father, we pray for those who are there who proclaim the name of Christ, who share the gospel. Lord, may they be able to speak loud in the midst of this chaos and the turmoil. Would you protect them? And Father, may your will be done. And we pray that right here today, we would ask that uh, in our service here and in the second service and in our service at East Campus, we, we commit it to you and we ask you to move in our hearts. And Father, would you speak to us and would you show us what we need to see and may we hear what we need to hear and may we respond accordingly. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I can count on one hand, maybe into the second hand, the number of times that I've gone fishing in my life. I remember two occasions that involved my dad and my next oldest brother. 
And I think from time to time, my dad felt like it was his duty thing to do this. So we'd be hurried out of the house in the morning. We'd grab the fishing poles and whatever tackle we had, which wasn't much, off to the bait shop and off to the nearest lake, which was never far because we lived in the Minneapolis area. You couldn't avoid a lake. We'd go out on the docks. We'd, we'd bait these hooks and we'd cast these lines out. And then we'd watch these bobbers, and that horrible W word would just work on the three of us, wait. Uh, and our fishing excursion would end either in frustration of catching nothing or in the success of us, each boy, catching a fish. Didn't matter how big it was or not, we'd catch it, throw it away, and my father would be like, oh, no, that's good, we've done it, let's go. And off to Long John Silver's for lunch, no joke. Only two times in my life did my father take me to Long John Silver's. Both of them were on days when we went fishing. Seemed appropriate to me, right? Fish and chips. There's a difference in the flow of the Gospels here in regards to the sequence of events that we're reading about here. Luke's Gospel includes this fishing story. The Gospel of Mark jumps right to Jesus saying, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Luke desires to give us extra evidence as to why these fishermen would so wholeheartedly respond to his invitation. Culturally and, and contextually, an argument could be made that the sheer honor of being called by a rabbi to follow would, would have been enough reason for these fishermen to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. But Luke's ordering of the account uh, just might help you and I comprehend their actions a little bit better. Without a doubt, by this point, Jesus is, is uh, capturing the attention of Simon Peter and, and those who have been with him. Remember, Peter was present in the home uh, where his mother-in-law had her fever rebuked by Jesus and was then well. And, and then the night of miracles that followed. And Luke makes it clear to us that, that Jesus was gaining a significant following. And here we find him teaching from the, the shore of Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee, Galilee that we would know it more commonly. The text seems to suggest that, that even the crowd desiring to hear the word of God is, is sort of pressing in on him and maybe now has pushed him as far back as he can in that he's against the, the water's edge now. Look with me at verse 3 again. Getting in to one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. To me, this sounds a bit presumptuous here. Uh, did, did he even ask Jesus before he gets, or he asked Peter before he gets into the boat? I mean, this might just be how it was recorded. Maybe Luke's just getting right to the point. Or it might speak of the authority and honor that a rabbi would have. If a rabbi wants to go and sit in a boat, he's going to do it. And, and these good Jewish people would have allowed him to. But here we have the first request. Jesus asked Peter to give him some additional space for the purpose of speaking to the crowd. So in this first request, it's a practical one. 
It's very hard to project your voice over people when they're right in front of you. And so the people behind them would not be able to hear. And so this would give them a chance to, to actually come back on the water. The water would actually serve as a, a, an amplifier of his voice. So it's a, it's a practical thing. And, and maybe it's personal. Maybe Jesus just wants some personal space here, a little bubble. But he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Again, is this sitting down? Is this simply the custom? Remember the synagogue? You read the scripture, you roll it up, hand it back to the attendant, sit down, and then expand or teach the passage. That's possible and even likely. But just as likely would have been the simple practicality that standing in that side of a, size of a boat that is anchored a little ways out in the water would not be wise. We all know what happens when you stand up in a small boat and waves come. Look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this is a very frustrating verse for me, and if you're getting used to, to me a little bit, you might understand that, that I get upset when details seem to be missing. And to me, details are missing here. The obvious one here would be exactly what it was that he was teaching them. Now, obviously, we, we know that he had just expressed the priority of teaching the good news of the kingdom of God, so that's central to it. But I want to know what he said and how he said it. Jesus' teachings are so wonderful. But here we find the second request of Jesus for Peter. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Arguably, the first request was relatively minor uh, in, its, in its level of inconvenience for Peter. You know, before it was just this, you know, put the, put the boat out from shore a little bit into the water. It, it still required effort from his crew. This is a, a boat that's probably seven feet wide to roughly 25 to 30 feet long. And so this is something that they would, they would have all worked together to pull it up onto shore. So they're going to have to work together to get it out a little bit. They've got to take it out. They've got to anchor, anchor it. And they're pulling he and the crew away from their task of caring for their, the nets. Two times, Charmaine and I went to Ghana, and when we stayed there, it was to, when we went to adopt our kids, when we stayed there, we stayed at a hotel on the shore. I really enjoyed watching these Ghana fishermen. They were so methodical in all that they did, and, and their timing was almost precision, and, and in the mornings, they would work hard to get those boats out before the sun would rise. And then they'd be out there fishing and doing their thing, and they'd work together so well. But when they came in, it was quite a process as they were pulling the fish from the nets and, and separating them. And then there would be others that were working on the nets. And they, again, these were nylon nets, uh, easier to repair, no doubt, than, than, and lighter than what would, Peter and his crew would have had. But they would work together, and they would work hard to reposition the boat. And by the time they were ready to leave that boat behind, all the nets were set and ready to go for the next time that they would go out and fish. And the second request here for Peter is far more demanding. This is a load the boat back up. And, and no doubt these nets of theirs would have been still very heavy from the water. And maybe they hadn't finished getting them ready yet. This is repositioning the, the crew and, and, and getting the boat ready and going out to where they would cast the nets. In Luke 5, we see the resistant obedience of Peter. Look at verse 5. 
And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. There are many times in Scripture where I'm just personally grateful for the humanity of those we read about. Peter's just real here, isn't he? He doesn't fail to show us that he's the real person. As we follow Peter, we see the good and the bad and the ugly, don't we? But think of the mental processing that Peter's doing here. No doubt in that short little time from that request to his response, he's thinking, okay, what is he asking? Why is he asking that? We were just out. This is a terrible time to fish. All the fishing boats are off the water by now. We'll look like idiots. What does Jesus know about fishing? We just finished prepping the nets for tonight. Man, the crew is going to rebel. They're tired. They're ready to go home and sleep until tonight when we go out. I already owe them for last night, and I earned nothing. And it intensifies. I- I'm the fisherman here. Why is he telling me what to do? He probably can't even use my digital depth finder. <laughs> no, but he does do really amazing things. Whatever went through his head, ultimately these words come out. Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I let down the nets. Resistant obedience. Can you relate to that? Either receiving resistant obedience or, or, or being the one who's resistant in your obedience. And maybe, maybe it's from the employer to the employee, and the employee's going, What? I don't want to do, I don't see the point. Or from the professor to the student, rewrite it. You don't like my thesis? Come on. Parent to child. As a parent, I do not like resistant obedience. Delayed obedience is not obedience at all, in my idea. But often I'll take the resistant if I can get it. But how about God's Holy Spirit to you? Ever been slow or resistant to a prompting of the Spirit? I remember driving to a night class. It was about a two and a half hour drive for me. I was going down this country road and I saw in the distance a man on the side of the road. And when I'm alone, I'll always pick up a hitchhiker. But for whatever reason, I thought, I, I don't have time. I don't have time this night. And I just drove by. And the Spirit of God just would not leave me alone. And I had driven quite a ways now to the point where I finally turned around. Now I'm going to be totally late. And when I drive back, for my pride's sake, I got to drive past him out of, out of sight before I turn around and come get, get him, because that's just going to look silly. You know. But I stopped and picked up this man. He looked like Santa Claus. And he got in the truck, and we began to talk. We had 
a good distance to drive, and he was a vet, and I was going to take him to the VA hospital on the way to my class. We stopped. I bought him a quick dinner. Had a chance to pray for him and, and to hear his, his story. I was so thankful for it. But I, I didn't want to do it. I resisted it that night for whatever reason. And it's, it's easy to do that. It's easy to come up with all the reasons why. Maybe we shouldn't. And yet, there's a sense that we're supposed to. Look at verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Remarkable results. And this catch of fish, can you imagine what that must have been like for them? I want you to stop and think for a minute. What would be a parallel result for you? Maybe at your work or, or your school or your neighborhood. What, what would be the kind of thing that would just blow your mind for it to come to your world and, and, and impact you like it impacted them? that would leave you stunned and amazed, that would leave you in awe of God. Understand for Peter and Andrew and James and John and their teams, this was the greatest fish, uh, haul of fish they'd ever, they'd ever seen, no doubt. Imagine their fishing stories that other people wouldn't believe. And I love to imagine how it would have happened. Did, did the Creator simply call out to the created? Did the fish come swimming as quickly as they possibly could? Maybe desiring to see their creator or to obey him. I envision more fish around there than the nets could hold, and these fish rising from the deep, even trying to get in. Can you imagine that? If that seems crazy to you, I want you to remember the plagues that, that came upon Egypt when, the, when Pharaoh wouldn't let Moses and the Israelites go. Lice, flies, and some of you might like this, frogs, just frogs everywhere. Hear me when I say the, the, the miracle of fish was well within the bounds of a powerful God because our God is without boundaries. So it's within bounds. These fishermen, tired from a night's work, were now filled with adrenaline as they struggled to comprehend what their bodies strained to pull in. Can't imagine them looking up from their work every now and looking at each other going, what is going on? What is happening? And I absolutely love the limit they're pushed to in that they filled the boats to the point of sinking. The point of decision, we're going, okay, uh, uh, he probably should stop trying to pull stuff in because we're going down. Many years ago, I went to Israel, and I vividly remember having this fish served to me on a plate when we ate on the Sea of Galilee. I remember didn't like, I didn't like the fact that it was looking back at me but I couldn't help but think about this account. <laughs> what it must have been like. Look at verse 8. 
When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. We see this humbled response. Depart from me. And I can't help but wonder, wouldn't the businessman in Peter desire to, to, to contract Jesus' services at this point? Lord, I could make you a very, very rich man. I, I'll cut you in on, let's go 45, 45% of the take. Uh, I'll, I'll cut you in on that, and, and I'll even add your name to the sign and put your name on the boat. Let's just keep this going. Fortunately, his response is better than that. And although Peter's response does not display complete understanding, he does respond properly from the perspective of understanding how unworthy of Jesus he is. He gets that part, doesn't he? He's unworthy of Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, you shouldn't even be in proximity as one like me. You're too close to me. But don't miss the physical position of Peter here too. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. The rise of fish causes him to fall before the king. Hughes writes these words, this response to Jesus is a great grace because moral agony and inner writhing over one's sin is a necessary prelude to the grace of forgiveness. Peter was in the spiritual posture of Isaiah 61, the poor, imprisoned, blind, and oppressed. He was blessed because he mourned over his sin. He was a child of the kingdom. Isn't that great? He was blessed to be pushed into that position of humility. Certainly, you and I look at, at Peter and, and what he says to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And we say, Peter, you knucklehead, don't chase Jesus away. What are you doing? Come on. But no doubt his response reminds us of Isaiah's response when he encounters the glory of God. Isaiah 6, 5 says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's humility. It's this understanding that you're in the presence of that, that one who is so much greater than you. There's a healthy humility to Peter's statement, but notice again Peter's response, or Jesus' response to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. It's an amazing statement, and the, the proper translation really is, is you will capture or catch alive men. Now on, you're going to be capturing, you're going to be catching people. 
How beautiful. Jesus is saying, not only am I not going to depart from you, I'm actually going to have you go with me, and your life is going to be completely different. I'm going to put you on a completely different task. Notice the rapid response. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, we know that this invitation was spoken to Peter according to the text here but was for all the others as well. They left everything. And we must not treat that as insignificant. They left everything behind. Catherine Wright calls it radical dispossession, leaving concerns about the practicality of life to faith. Far easier said than done. Really? You're going to leave everything? You're going to leave your, your source of income? You're going to leave that which is of value to you, your security? Look at the next account that Luke puts in there with us. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and, and pray. Luke wants us to notice here that this is no mild case of leprosy. A leprosy was a term that was used kind of generically, and it covered all things from, from a mild rash to a major skin condition where, where people would ab absolutely hurt their extremities. It, the, the leprosy would cause a numbness, and so they wouldn't know, realize that they were burning their hands or cutting it or whatever, so they would have such damage and, and hurt to their physical appendages. And clearly this man's in bad shape. And lepers were required to keep their distance from others, and they were to announce their malady when in proximity to others, and they would signify by calling out, unclean, unclean. So I want you to understand here that humility would have already been a trait of this leper. How could you not be? You had to warn everyone when you were near. People worked hard to avoid you, to walk wide around you. You were only accepted by others who had a like condition. You were forced to live away from the population and you're completely dependent on the kindness and charity of people. But not just that. It was often considered that when you had this condition, it was a result of your own wrongdoing. Your condition was because you had some grievous sin in your life, and you'd done something horrible for which God must be punishing you. So that for this man, humility was well-established. He saw Jesus, and he fell on his face. We notice here a bold act of faith. In humility, he begged Jesus. Even in his begging, he displays faith. 
Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He approaches Jesus in humility. And Jesus honors the man's humble faith. I will be clean. And not just that, he touches the man. He didn't touch lepers. He touches him. We could reasonably conclude that this man's leprosy served to position him properly to best encounter Jesus. He too was in the position as one of those described in Isaiah 61. Poor, imprisoned, blind, oppressed. He, he was already there. He was in that position. He fell before Jesus expressing humble faith. Not unlike leprosy, the sin that you and I were born into and have carried forward makes us unclean and separated from God. Which should drive us to a position of humility. When we partake of communion in a few minutes, it's a spirit of humility. It's just this realization within us that we are so unworthy of what he has given us. I'm so grateful. As I close, I want to look ahead to one other occasion with Peter and Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Christ three times prior to the cross. And after the resurrection from the dead, Jesus finds Peter fishing again. John 20, 21 tells us that as the sun was beginning to rise, Jesus called out for them from the shore for a fishing report. Peter, unaware that it was Jesus, says, ah, no fish. And Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and, and you'll find some. And once again, their net was full. And in verse 7 of John 21, it says, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he, for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And I ask you, what have the years with Jesus taught Peter? Peter was no less humbled in this point when he, considering his own sin that he had just denied Christ three times. He's in that humble position. He had denied him. But this time he doesn't say, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. This time he can't get close enough to Jesus quick enough. He knows something about the heart of Jesus. He knows how Jesus responds to humble faith. He doesn't want him to depart. He wants to get close because he knows the heart of Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for text like this. And, and Father, we're so prone to pride and we're so prone to independence. And Lord, forgive us for that. Father, may we see how important it is for us to 
come to you in a, a spirit of humility. That humility that leads to repentance, that turning away from our own ways and going towards you in recognition of our desperation. We come to you seeking you that you would bless us, that you would redeem us, that you would say, I will be clean. And we find redemption. We find wholeness in you. Father, thank you for our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.